It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Friends, as we began this series, we introduced a very powerful principle that helps us to determine whether our claims about the knowledge we have are certain. Simply stated, this principle is the principle of probability, and what it reveals is that extremely small probabilities point to certainty and eliminate chance as an explanation. So this principle of probability, when applied to the existence of God and the reliability of His Word, it soundly demonstrates that God is real and that this Bible can be trusted. Some of the greatest evidence of all of this is found in prophecy. Now, over the course of our study, the first six chapters of Daniel demonstrated probability through seeing some incredible things that defied simple chance as an explanation. That was most especially the case in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream of Daniel 2 that Daniel interpreted. That dream outlined over 2,500 years of history in advance. Simply amazing, but more than amazing, it points to the existence of an all-knowing, all-powerful God who cares and interacts with us as his creation. Now this week, as we turn our attention to the prophetic section of the book of Daniel and open the pages of the Bible to Daniel 7, this chapter introduces us to a very sinister power that does all kinds of things against God and against God's people. In fact, his attacks are so devastating that Daniel wants to make sure that God's people are able to identify this menacing agent of evil. Let's turn in our Bibles to Daniel, the seventh chapter, verses one through seven. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted, lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. And after this, I looked and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. 
It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. What should stand out first about this amazing dream is that these creatures, these creatures will never be seen in any of your local zoos. Each of these animals violate the very laws of nature. I mean, have you ever seen a lion with eagle's wings or a leopard with four wings and four heads? Or animals with iron teeth? Of course not. As we look at this passage, there are four symbols that we need to interpret or understand. The winds, the great sea, the beasts, and the horns. Now, our mission here at It Is Written is to instill the understanding that the Bible interprets itself. And so each of these are symbolic representations of something else. So what do they all mean? What about these four winds? Well, if we go to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 51, there in Jeremiah 51 in verse 1, the Bible is quite clear about what these winds are. God said that he would send a destroying wind against Babylon. He was speaking of the strife and destruction caused by the Medo-Persians. This means that wind represents strife and destruction. But what about the sea? Well, Revelation 17, 15 is actually quite clear when it states, the waters which you saw are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Thus, the great sea represents peoples or a populous place. That still leaves us wondering about those beasts. Well, what do they represent? Well, Daniel 7, 17 helps us answer that question. Those great beasts are for kings which arise out of the earth. A bit later in verse 23, it says, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. Now, the beasts represent kingdoms, empires. Now, interestingly enough, Daniel 7, 24 declares that the 10 horns are 10 kings. So the horns also represent kingdoms. But what does this all mean? How do, how do we sort this all out? Well, let's look at the specific symbols and see what they might mean. Now, the first symbol that we had is a lion with eagle's wings. What could that amount to? As a beast, it represents a kingdom. But what kingdom? Friends, it is a fitting symbol of Babylon, which came to power in 605 B.C. Now, remarkably enough, Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 7 and Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 17 and 44, refer to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon as a lion that has arisen out of his lair to destroy the nations. In addition, the winged lion is one of the forms that is often pictured in art and inscriptions in combat with Marduk. Marduk was the patron god of the city of Babylon. But Daniel informs us that the wings were plucked off of that lion and a man's heart was given to it. What an apt description of the fate of Babylon. After Nebuchadnezzar's death, Babylon lost much of its prestige, much of its power, 
and it ultimately became a weak and enfeebled nation. Now, it is here that I want to introduce you to how Hebrew thinking works. It is something called recapitulation or simply repeat and enlarge. Now, our Western minds don't quite work like those from the East, but here's the basic concept. Something is said, then that same thing is repeated or restated with greater detail, but possibly in a bit different language. Daniel 7 is a recapitulation or a repeating and enlarging of Daniel 2. It is a restatement of the world's history of empires, but with greater detail. And so this description of Babylon as the lion parallels that of Daniel 2 and Babylon being represented as the head of gold. But after the two-winged lion, on the scene, a bear shows up. It's not just any ordinary bear. It's a bear raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth. Now, as you could probably guess, this bear represents the Medo-Persian Empire. And although Daniel 7 does not mention who the three ribs represent, history reveals that they were symbols of the three principal powers of Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt that were conquered by the combined forces of the Medes and the Persians who came to power around 539 B.C. Now, what makes this symbol additionally fascinating is the reality that when these powers came together, the Medes were actually the stronger of the two. However, over time, the Persians grew in strength and became so strong that most history books today simply refer to it as the Persian Empire. This symbol of the bear parallels the chest and arms of silver from Daniel 2. But the bear is moved aside by an even stranger looking creature, a leopard with four wings and four heads. And this bizarre looking beast represents the kingdom of Greece. Now, like the other beasts, leopards are fierce and carnivorous. Yet they have the added advantage of being swift and agile. Even more, this beast has four wings, which denotes its incredible speed and agility. What a fitting representation of Greece. In fact, it's almost inadequate to describe the amazing speed of Alexander the Great's conquest of the known world. Astonishingly, in less than a decade, Alexander and his army came into possession of the greatest empire the world had ever seen at the time. One commentator put it this way, there is no other example in ancient times of such rapid movements of troops on so large and successful a scale. In 331 BC, Alexander's army decisively defeated the Persians in the famous Battle of Arbella. Yet Alexander's kingdom would not last very long. Alexander could conquer the world, but he could not conquer himself. He died from his own lustful exuberance, and on his deathbed was asked who would succeed him. He simply answered these words, he who is strongest. Greece was weakened by internal strife and civil war. The four heads of the leopard 
represent the four kingdoms that occupied the territory of Alexander's conquest. Greece would come to an end. This winged leopard kingdom corresponds with the bronze or brass of the statue of Daniel 2. But now we are brought to the fourth beast. The description was frightening. It is described as dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong, and with iron teeth. Now you remember back in Daniel 2, the metal started with gold, then silver, bronze, and finally the fourth symbol in Daniel 2 was iron. These iron teeth of this nondescript fourth beast give us a clue to who this is in Daniel 7. It is the kingdom of Rome and perfectly matches the order of Daniel 2 with the legs of iron. In the vision of Daniel 2, there was no fifth world empire, simply a mixture of iron and clay, a representation of the kingdom of Rome not being defeated, but falling apart or dividing. Similarly, in Daniel 7, the Bible records that this nondescript beast would not give way to another beast or world empire. Instead, this beast has 10 horns, which means that 10 kingdoms would arise out of the Roman Empire. And although a score or more barbarian tribes evolved from the Roman Empire, the 10 kingdoms that would eventually represent the divisions of Rome are the Ostrogoths, the Visigoths, the Franks, the Vandals, the Suevi, the Alemanni, the Anglo-Saxons, the Heruli, the Lombards, and the Burgundians. But wait, there is more. Three of those are removed and replaced by a little horn. Now, at this point, we need to notice that as we have read Daniel 7, we will not find Daniel identifying the little horn. He, he doesn't say that it's Christianity or the little horn is Islam or Buddhism or Hitler or Napoleon or some other power. Daniel does not provide us with a short, concise statement telling us exactly who the little horn represents. However, instead of a short statement, Daniel describes the various characteristics that make up the identity of the little horn. God in his wisdom has provided this much better approach. How so, you might ask? Well, quite simply, the probability of misinterpreting or falsifying one statement is much greater than the probability or misinterpreting or falsifying of many characteristics that describe one entity. So think about it in this way, for example. Let's say you were robbed, and you were robbed by someone at gunpoint, and they took all of your belongings. And after that, the police came and visited with you, and they asked you to describe the robber. And so you tell them, he was light-skinned, average height, average build, long hair, mark on his face, and spoke with an accent. Now, friends, there are going to be several problems with this description if that's the most precise you can be. His long hair could be cut. The mark on his face could be removed and he could modify his accent. If you can even remember what type of accent it really was. See, all of those characteristics are too general. Maybe your son, maybe your nephew could match that very description. 
the probability of getting the wrong thief increases greatly with such general characteristics. But the probability of getting the right thief increases with specific characteristics. He was 5'9", black-haired, down to his shoulders, brown eyes, crooked nose, spoke with a British accent, and he was missing his left ring finger. That type of description greatly helps catch the thief. And so it is in the same way that the probability of wrongly identifying the little horn of Daniel 7 greatly decreases with more specific characteristics and descriptions. So God in his infinite wisdom did not limit the identification of the little horn to one statement. In fact, he gave nine characteristics or nine features to this little horn power. Those nine characteristics would be like using that earlier illustration of being robbed, finding that the thief's fingerprints were all over in your house. And in addition, you, you struggled with the thief and you scratched the thief and you had some of his skin and hair under your fingernails. With DNA now in hand, the probability of correctly identifying the thief is almost sure. And that is what we have here in Daniel chapter 7. The DNA of the little horn power. What we are about to reveal is nine characteristics of the little horn power that no one else on the face of the earth will be able to fulfill other than one identifiable power. So with all of that said, we are now ready to reveal those nine specific characteristics of Daniel 7 that identify that little horn power. Now, according to verses 8 and 24, it rises out of the fourth beast. According to verse 7 and 8, it tells us that arose among the ten horns geographically. Verse 24 iterates that it appeared after the ten other horns. Verse 25 says that it was allotted special powers for a time, two times, and a half a time. The fifth characteristic, as alluded to in verse 8 and 24, states that it was to put down the three kings so that as it arose, three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. The sixth characteristic is spoken of in verse 25. It says that this power would think to change the times and the law. The seventh characteristic is informed by verses 8 and 20, which tells us that it was little when it was first seen, but in time it became greater than its fellows. Verse 8 and 25 outline that it had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things, and it spoke words against the Most High. And the ninth characteristic found in verse 25 says that it was to wear out the saints of the Most High. History clearly tells us who this power was and is. Of the ten kingdoms that rose out of the Roman Empire, the Heruli were the first to be eliminated. After them, the Vandals fell. And finally, there was a decisive blow against the Ostrogoths in 538 AD. 
Now, why would this little horn choose these three kingdoms to eliminate? Well, the little horn warred against God. The Heruli, Vandals, and Ostrogoths. They represented Germanic Christianity. And why is that important? Germanic Christianity consisted of a more pure and biblical religion than that derived from the East. You see, the Germanic Christians, many of them kept all the commandments of God, including the fourth commandment, which remembers the Seventh-day Sabbath. The Germanic Christians believed that Jesus Christ was the only mediator between God and man. They also believed that Christ was not created, but a divine being. And while they rejected the Nicene Creed, it was for other reasons than that divinity of Christ. But because they rejected it, they were labeled as being Aryan tribes. For this little horn power that warred against God, it needed to make sure that these Christians who practiced biblical Christianity disappeared. As I said, the last of those was defeated in 538. Interestingly enough, 538 marks the beginning of the time, times, and a half a time. You'll remember from our last show that the phrase is equal to 1260 prophetic days or 1260 literal years. In addition, 538 represents the year that Emperor Justinian made a decree which established Catholicism as the religion of the empire. Thus, any Christians outside of Catholicism were either forced to accept Roman Christianity or suffer the death of martyrdom. And in addition to that, in 538, at the Third Synod of Orleans, a church-state system that was set up made it so Christians would be punished for violating or desecrating Sunday. And here's what it says. Not as the civil authorities may direct, but as the ecclesiastical powers may determine. Each of these nine characteristics give us a clear picture of who the little horn power must be. It would be utterly impossible for any human being to try to predict by chance processes some of these characteristics. No, there is a precision that outlines the characteristics that clearly identify it. Perhaps the characteristic that most clearly defies the chance processes is the prediction that this little horn's activity would last for 1260 years. But when we account for this time period, along with the geographical location in which it arose, the fact that it arose after the fall of Rome and after the Ten Horns, that it would intend to change times and laws, that it would put down three kings as it arose, that it would have a man at the head, that it would speak blasphemous words against God, and that it would persecute the saints throughout the 1260-year period. The only reasonable conclusion is that the information that Daniel 7 contains did not originate with any human source. In fact, Isaiah the prophet states this, Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them 
and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are God's. God has spoken and his words are clear. His power is clearly identified. It is not speaking of a person or peoples, but rather a system. A system of religio-political magnitude that actually opposes God and his mission. But the beautiful promise of scripture is that this power doesn't win. God wins. The future is in his hands. He is coming again. And here Daniel 7 further emphasizes what we have seen over and over again. God is real. God cares. And God wants to be in relationship with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in control of all things. Please be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, would you like to learn more about these amazing prophecies? I want to offer you the Living in the End Time Prophecy Study Guide for today's offer. Here's the information you need. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. 
For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H7V4. Friend, thank you so much for watching. God cares for you. God loves you. Join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thank you.